Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. So does everyone know what the theme of the year is? Anchored. It's anchored. And we want to be anchored in God. And one of the major things we've been doing, we've been going through the Bible throughout the entire year from the beginning. It's not too late if you want to start going through the Bible. And I just know that through the years of knowing God and talking to people about the Bible, when I ask them what their favorite book of the Bible is, I have never, never heard someone say to me, Carlos, my favorite book of the Bible is Leviticus. Never. I've heard other books, of course, the book of John, the book of Psalms. Like, there's a lot of other books people love. But Leviticus is one that I've never heard that it was their absolute favorite. And I know usually in the beginning of the new year, we have the new year resolution to to read through the Bible through the whole year. And we do great in Genesis. We do great in Exodus. But then all of a sudden when Leviticus shows up, a lot of people get stuck a little bit along the way. And many times they give up and trying to read through. But today we're going to be focusing on the book of Leviticus so we could get a good grasp of what the book is about. Now, of course, we can't cover everything, every detail But I believe by the end of the service, you'll have an idea of what the book of Leviticus is about. I'm going to give you some details about it. Number one, it says numbers of chapters in the book. There's 27. The type of book is a history book. The same way, you know, like if you read a history book about the United States, this is history of the Israelites. Date written 1445 B.C., And period covered, you could say, is 1445 B.C. to 70 A.D. The author is Moses. Moses wrote this book. And the location is Mount Sinai. They pretty much are camping out outside of the mountain the whole time period of the book of Leviticus. There's two key words that are seen often in this book. The first one is holy. Could anyone guess how many times does it say holy in the book of Leviticus? Just a guess. You can shoot it out. 137. Yeah, 137. That's very specific. 137. How many? 400. These are high numbers. 400. So in the book of Leviticus, the word holy is said 90 times. That's a lot of times, 400, a lot lot of times. It would be like, holy, 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 like the whole book if it's 400. But, um, But literally, it's 90 times it says holy through the book. And that gives you an insight on what the book, of course, is. And also, 88 times is another word, a word that you don't expect being said so often, but it's blood. So almost for every time it says holy, the word blood is almost equal throughout the book as well. So 90 times holy, 
88 times blood. Key phrases that you see in the book of Leviticus is, for I am holy. God's saying, for I am holy. Also, he says, I will forgive. Not only is he a holy God, he makes a way for forgiveness. And he says, I will forgive. Also, a key phrase is, I am the Lord, your God. That phrase, I am the Lord, your God, is mentioned 45 times through the book of Leviticus. Picture if you're a parent, right? And your kids are looking at you and say, why do I need to listen to you? I'm your father. I'm your mother. Like, you hear me? Like, you, you clearly will tell your kids, you got to listen to me because I am who I say I am. Yo tengo el cinto también. No, no, it's like you, you clearly will let them know who you are. This is God. God throughout the book says what he expects. And then he says, for I am the Lord, your God. If you ever want to question why you should do what you should do, just know I am the Lord, your God. And that should be enough. That should be enough. You shouldn't expect anything in return or anything like that. Because I am the Lord, your God, you have to obey. And he mentions that 45 times. The main theme throughout the entire book is be holy for I am. I want to do that again. Be holy for I am holy. So that's like the theme of the whole book. Be holy for I am holy. God wanting us to be holy because God is holy. So Exodus ended. And if you remember closely, Moses couldn't enter the tabernacle. If you remember in Exodus chapter 20, God's presence, the cloud, was on top of the mountain, right? On top of the mountain when Moses was there meeting with him. But then by the end of Exodus, Exodus 40, God's presence, the cloud, came down into the camp in the tabernacle. But Moses couldn't go inside, couldn't be in God's presence at all. Something that's really interesting is we're going to be able to see what happens in the book of Leviticus just by paying attention to the next two verses that, that I'm going to read. But you have to pay attention. There's no snoozing. There's no siestas. If you see someone siesta, you have my permission to poke them. Poke them, wake them up. You know what I mean? Like no siestas. You got to pay attention and focus so that we would be able to understand better the book of Leviticus. And for those of you watching at home, I can't get anyone to poke you. So I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to wake you up too if you try to snooze. So, so here we're going to um, start with Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. And then it said, he said, we're going to stop there. Now, I want everyone to say, from the tent. Okay? From the tent. That's Leviticus chapter 1. You go through the entire book of Leviticus, the 27 chapters, and when you make it to Numbers, the very first verse in Numbers, it says this. The Lord, it's going to be behind me, the Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai on the first day of the second month of the second year after Israelites came out of Egypt. And then it says, he said. So if you notice, in the beginning, verse 1 of chapter 1 of Leviticus, God spoke to Moses 
from the tent. And then in Numbers 1, verse 1, it's in the tent. So the book of Leviticus premise tells you how that journey happened, where that transition was able to take place. There's going to be a statement behind me, and it says this. Leviticus explains the path that God provided to speak to mankind in the tent instead of from the tent. So I think that's pretty clear. And of course, we know Emmanuel is God with us. And whenever you think of the word Emmanuel, you think of Christmas. Like, you know, think of Christmas, but God wanting to be with us, it's throughout Scripture. This is God with us. God making the way so he could come closer and closer and be with us. So I think that's very clear and easy to remember. You could always remember Leviticus chapter 1 and Numbers chapter 1. Both of them are the first verses, but it's a big difference being from the tent and in the tent when encountering God's presence. So I told you already that Leviticus had 27 chapters. Now, there's different ways it could be broken down, but I want to make it as simple as possible. There's two main categories. One one of them is the way to God, the way to God. And the second one is how to walk with God. So those are two different categories. And I'm going to explain to you first. Out of the 27 chapters, chapters 1 through 17, Uno a diecisiete. The first 17 chapters of Leviticus highlights the way to God. So the main focus is access. It's access. God is giving the people and showing them how they could have access to God. So that's chapters one to what? All right, all right. No, do everybody, no, do it. One to 17. So, how I said it's the way to God access. In those chapters, you'll go over offerings, sacrifices, the instructions for the priests on what they have to do, rituals that they had to do as well. It's all about access to God. Now, if you haven't read it tonight, I know you have to prepare for next week for numbers, but you should try definitely to read some of these main passages even at home for yourself. So the first 17 chapters is the way to God access. Now the remaining chapters, chapter 18 to 27, is the walk with God. It's about our lifestyle, how the Israelites were going to live, the walk with God. How's it going to look like? Like, you know, your everyday life, how is this going to look like when God is in your midst, and you have to honor God and, of course, love others. So here, the walk with God, you're going to find uh, purity guidelines, guidelines on how to be pure, practical guidelines as well, the consequences of being disobedient. When you're disobedient, I pow pow, you know, it goes hand in hand. You know, there's consequences to disobedience, And also you'll find festivals. So festivals, and you'll find them all in chapter 23. So if you want to read the festivals that the Israelites had observed, that's chapter 23 of the book of Leviticus. Now, let me tell you, when when, when we think of holidays here, of course, we have New Year's Day. We have Martin Luther King Jr. We just celebrated. 
We have Independence Day. We have Memorial Day. Uh, we have all these holidays in the United States. And I know we have our view of them. Most people, when they think of uh, holidays, what do they think about? Day off, day off. Like, that's just the truth. Like, most people, whenever it's a holiday, they think about, it's just, it's my time para dormir, a comer, to eat. You know, like, uh, like we just think that it's a day off. But there's a reason why the United States have holidays and other countries have holidays too. And the main two reasons is to remember and to teach. Those are two main reasons. One, to remember. We want to remember. And two, we want to teach our children and the next generations why we're remembering. You know, so we want these holidays to be in place. Now, in the United States, the holidays, of course, the government comes up with the holidays. But these holidays, these festivals are the holidays that the government didn't put together. God put together. God said, These are the festivals that you will follow and observe. Now, because of time, we're not able to go over all the festivals and go over all the details and everything like that. But what chapter are the festivals in? 23. 23. You guys are so smart. So let, let me tell you, I'm going to just highlight like about three of them to get an idea. One of them is Passover. And this highlights when God uh, pretty much Uh, passed over the judgment over uh, the Israelites when they were in Egypt, you know, when they put the blood on the doorpost. And I know that was uh, highlighted in the book of Exodus. That's the 10th plague uh, that pretty much Egypt went through. And Passover, that's the festival that God wants the Israelites never to forget what he did in the deliverance of Egypt. Never to forget. I want you to remember And I want you to teach your children what I did in the past. Because we all know that we forget. We forget. I have bad memories sometimes too. Like my memory is not the best. We forget. And so many times right now, some of us sitting here, we've forgotten what God's done for us. We're in the middle of a situation right now and we think we're not going to make it through. But if you just look back in your life and remember all the times God brought you through, he's not going to abandon you now. He's not going to abandon you now. How important it is to remember and to teach. Imagine you turning to your kids and teaching them how God brought you out of so many of situations in the past. You know, teaching them, it's like, look, I know you're young. You might not understand But we serve a God that's done all this throughout my life, and he's going to continue doing it through your life too. We got to remember and teach. The Feast of Trumpets, and we know it as Rosh Hashanah, like here, of course, is signaling the new year. There's other meaning to it, but because of time, we can't go through it. And the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, which is when the high priest makes atonement for the sin of Israel. This is once a year he would go, he would kill a bull, he would kill a goat, and ends up sacrificing one goat. Something that's interesting, he would use two goats, one of them would be sacrificed. A goat would be killed because of the sin of the Israelites, and the second one, he would lay his hand on the goat, he would lay his hand on the goat and pretty much declare 
the, and confess the sins of Israel on the goat, almost to pretty much put the sins on the goat. And after that goat pretty much received and is carrying the sins of the Israelites, it's let go in the desert to be by itself and pretty much lost and gone far away from the camp forever. So that's something that would happen in the Day of Atonement. Those two, pretty much, when, when, you, when, I, when I highlight those two goats, one would get killed, one would get confessed, the sins over, and let go and released far away from the camp because God is holy. So by doing that, the high priest in the festival, the Israelites had pretty much like, it was covered, you could say, like um, pretty much Aaron went before God for a year. He had to repeat it every year before God. Now, I know what you're thinking when it comes to sacrifice and animals. Like, uh, like it's, it's one of those things that's hard for us to wrap our minds around because we don't deal with it, like in a sense now. But I'm going to walk back here. And I have two little friends back here. Look how cute these two little friends. Oh, they're so cute. They're so cute. I'll put them over here. Yes, they did come from the altar in the back. So, so here, uh, this little husky, a little husky. As you know, I'm a big animal lover, and I love Siberian huskies. While reading Leviticus, I have to confess, I was happy I didn't see Siberian Huskies as one of the animals that could be chosen. <laughs> but I love animals. And here you have a little goat. Look at the goat, little cute. A cute little goat. And how I was saying, it's, it's hard for us, especially if you love animals, to imagine that animals were killed for pretty much because of the wages of sin is death. So there had to be punishment for sin. So here, when you, when, you think of, uh, when you think of this, and I know for us, it's hard for us to imagine, but we don't have no issue uh, sometimes for some of us, like eating chibo, you know what I mean? Eating, you know, eating our uh, different animals that we might eat. We're not in the process of killing the animal, but we like to eat it. We like to eat a lot of these animals. Um, so, so when you think about it, at one point, the animal would have to get killed. But here with it, I'm going to put my two little friends here on the side over here. Oh, that's a dog. He, he barked. He went, arr, arr. So, so right there, as you know, there's different animals that would be used for the sacrifice system. They would be brought to the altar and they would uh, be sacrificed. Now, the details of this is spelled out in the book. We're not going to go over all the details because it's too much to go over. But I do want you to know certain things. Right here, there's going to be a slide behind me. It says this. The sacrificial system. The sacrificial system was put into place to visually show us the high cost paid for our sins. I'm going to say that again. The high cost paid for our sins and teach us that we need to be grateful, dependent on God, and live a life of surrender. So here in the book of Leviticus, God spelled out sacrifices where animals had to get killed to pay the price for our sin. Now, where was the first sacrifice that was ever done in the Bible? 
It was mentioned in the garden. The very first sacrifice was done by God himself. He gave us the example. So it's not like this started in the book of Leviticus. This started in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, how early, of course, in the book as well. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it says this. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Who made the first sacrifice? God. So he made garments of skin. Like he didn't go to Macy's to buy this, these garments of skin. Yeah, they weren't Macy's back then. He didn't go to Macy's to buy the, uh, these garments of skin. This was an animal that God killed, brought the garments of skin that were obviously bloody, and put it on Adam and Eve to show them, hey, you sin. There's consequences. The wages of sin is death. This animal had to die. And the blood of the animal will cover your sin and you're literally wearing it. So that's the clearest example I could give you. And you know what's interesting is there's a big word that's used in churches called atonement. Have you ever heard the word atonement? Atonement, the word atonement. There was a young lady there that said, no, no. Yeah, now you're learning right now, atonement. The word atonement simply means to cover. That's it. It's a big word to say to cover. You know, so if you want to sound like, like, you know what I mean, like, uh, uh, like more intelligent, be like, oh, atonement. But you just say to cover, and it's the same thing. So atonement is literally what God did. He grabbed the skin of the animal to cover the sin that Adam and Eve had. That's atonement. The blood on them atoned, covered their sin. Okay? So I I hope that's clear. And we know in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, In Christ Jesus, our Lord. So there you clearly see that whenever there's sin, there has to be consequences, punishment. The wages of sin is death. That's the penalty. But there you also see, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So now we're going to focus on five main sacrifices. There's actually other sacrifices that are mentioned, but there's five main ones, and I want us to understand them. Now, it's important to understand them because there's principles behind each one for us to understand our relationship with God too. Now, out of the five main sacrifices, there's two categories, okay? One of them is worship. The first three sacrifices deal with worship, And the last two have to do with atonement. What does that word atonement mean? To cover. There's going to be a slide behind me, a picture, an image to highlight the sacrifices. Aquí viene, I believe, in faith. It should be coming. No, maybe. Hopefully, soon, the image would be helpful. So I'm going to let, let you know. So there's two categories. And how I said, worship and atonement. 
The first three sacrifices we're going to highlight have to do with worship. The last two have to do with atonement. Now, something else that's uh, important before we go into the sacrifices is this, is the animals that were brought for sacrifices have to be the very best that you have. You can't bring God your leftovers. You can't bring an animal that has anything wrong with it. If for some reason, tan poquito cojito, you know, I can't walk, right? And you're like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm giving that one to God. I'm going to keep the good one for me. One that I can't see that good, didn't do good in lens crafters. Give that one to God. You know, I'm going to keep the good ones for me. You know, it's not like that. God expected the very best animal without any blemish to be offered to him. The very best. And when you think about it too, animals had worth. It was currency, you could say. It's like animals had worth. They were able to sell it. They were able to buy things with it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's valuable. And of course, if you have different animals, the better the animal is, the more it's worth. And God says, you know what? I want the very best without blemish. I come first. There's a really big principle there. What do we give God? Do we give God our very best or do we give God our leftovers? In our lives, do we give God the very best, making sure that there's nothing competing with anything or not feeling that we're going to jip God off, give God the very best, making him, putting him in the center of our lives, or we just give him whatever we could accommodate in our life. Maybe we could go to church on Sunday for an hour and a half or two hours, or maybe I'll open the Bible once in a while. Maybe I'll pray. Maybe I'll serve. Maybe I'll actually do something that God would want me to do. Um, God doesn't want our leftovers. How would you feel if you come to my house to eat And you know I love General South chicken with pork fried rice and egg rolls and dumplings and all that stuff. And I invite you to come to my house. I say, yo, you can't even come to the kitchen. You go to, you stay in the living room. I'm going to eat. And whatever's left over, I'll come to you and I'll drop it on your plate so you can eat. Let me tell you something. I can eat most of the Chinese food I order. I could throw down. All you're getting is half a fortune cookie. That's it. Because I usually eat half, and then I give my other half to my dog, and that's it. You know what I mean? Like, I usually, that's my leftovers. I pretty much, whenever, I just throw it off, and that's all. And you might look at that and be like, Carlos, that's rude. Carlos, that's messed up. Carlos, how could you do that? So many of us, and I've done it through my life, you know, especially in the beginning when I didn't know God. Like, You know, when I didn't really know God, it's like you go through life and we give God whatever the leftovers are. We give God the scrapings, but like, God, you know, I know you died on the cross for me. I know you've done so much for me. You've blessed me. You've kept me. You preserved me. You watch over me. You walk with me. But yet, God, this is what I'm going to give you. And you just give him a little scraping off your plate. He deserves the very best. 
Something else that's important to know with the sacrifices that you would bring to the altar in Leviticus, you would kill the animal yourself. You would do the killing of the animal and give it to the priest. Every time you kill the animal, you're reminded that the wages of sin is death. And there's a penalty for it. So there's five. Do we have the images? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't know it was behind me. So there's five main sacrifices. The three first one have to do with worship. And they're voluntary. You don't have to do them. But of course, it's encouraged to. The first one is a burnt offering. And what that really signifies is a complete surrender. The entire sacrifice is placed on the altar and is consumed for God 100%. It, it doesn't highlight a specific sin. You don't go to the altar for a burnt sacrifice for a specific sin. It's pretty much just complete surrender. It's like, God, I'm here. I'm giving you my life. I'm surrendering everything. Like my life is yours. And that is the burnt offering, a complete surrender. And the animals depended on the financial ability of the person. Remember, this is voluntary. So the person could decide what they're able to give and do it as an act of worship to God. The second one is a grain offering. And something I do want to mention, because this could get a little confusing, is depending on the translation of the Bible that you're using, it might say something different. So, for example, some, the NIV says grain offering, but the New King James say, says meal offering. So it's the same thing, but it's just a different word, so don't get confused. Grain meal offering. The main aspect with this, it's a worship of dependence. You're declaring to God that you're depending on him because he is your source. This is the only sacrifice that's not bloody. It's not bloody. There's no blood involved in this sacrifice. This is also the only sacrifice that you actually get to prepare with your own hands. You get to prepare it. So it's, it's one of those things that you prepare with flour, with oil. It could be cooked. It could be uncooked. You could also bring it with incense. There's a process that takes place that you work with the hands that God gave you and you're declaring to God, it's like, God, I know you've blessed me. I want to declare I depend on you. I know you've given me hands. You've given me ability. You've given me gifts, talents to do things, but I realize I'm nothing without you. I realize that I need you, so I will depend on you, and I'll worship you, and I'll declare my dependence to you, and this is the grain and meal offering. The, the third one is fellowship, and also the same situation as here. NIV says fellowship. Other translation says peace, offering. This is a declaration of thanksgiving. This one is thanksgiving pretty much here. You're pretty much coming to God, thanking God for what he's done, what he's doing, thanking God for the community, thanking God for blessing you, thanking God for those that you're surrounded with. Now, a difference with this one, it's almost like a holy barbecue, you could say, because this one, you do the sacrifice, God gets his portion, which is the fat portion, then the priest gets his portion, and you actually get to keep some yourself. 
you actually get to keep some to take home. And the reason why I say it's like a holy barbecue, because you guys are just celebrating God, giving him thanks, like for what he's done. And in the midst of everything, you actually take some of the sacrifice home with you and you eat it and celebrate with it at home as well. So those are the first three and they all are point two, worship. Say it again. The first three are worship. And is it mandatory to do them? It's voluntary. So now the last two, it's mandatory. You got no choice to do these two. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter if you didn't have your coffee that morning. It doesn't matter what's happening in your life. These two are mandatory. And this signifies, therefore, atonement, which atonement means to cover. So the, fir- the first one in this category is the sin offering. This one is for unintentional sin. Unintentional sin, it's burned for God and pretty much, um, pretty much the priest keeps some, okay? I know before I mentioned the fellowship and peace offering that you keep some, that's the only one that you keep some. So all the others you don't. So here in the sin offering is burned for God The priest keeps uh, some, but this is for unintentional sin. Think about that. All of a sudden, you have to come before God, sacrifice animals for sins that you didn't mean to commit. When was the last time we came before God and be like, God, I just want to come before you because I know that there's things I've done unintentionally today that I might not even know about. I might have sinned today and might might not even realize I sinned today. So even to the point that you like, it might be one of those situations where you're not aware, or maybe afterwards you became aware and it was unintentional. And you're like, God, I'm sorry. Like I come before you with this sacrifice to cover my sin, atone for my sin. I like, you know, I didn't even realize I didn't mean to do that. So there the sin offering is for unintentional sin. And the last one is what? The guilt offering, the same thing there. The reason it says trespass is other translation says trespass. This one is for intentional sins. These are sins that you know, you thought about, you dreamt about, you planned out, you wanted to do it, and you did it, and it's intentional sin. You better go to God and sacrifice that animal because if not, that sin is going to be on your head. And all of a sudden, it's like here is intentional sin. The sacrifice is brought to God, and the priest is able to keep some as well. So obviously, the priests work in the tabernacle. This is their way that God provides for them to have food for their family. So we, we went over the five sacrifices. Now, I have a big question to ask you. Do we have to make sacrifices today? How many of you think, no, we don't have to do sacrifices today? Raise your hand. I know some of you are nervous. Like, I'm not going to put my hand up. Yo, Carlos, tú loco. I'm not going to put my hand up. Yeah, how many of you say, yes, yes, we have to do sacrifices today? How many of you just don't know? Just like, I'm raising my hand. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. So, obviously, that, that's kind of a trick question. It's a trick question because the mandatory ones, for atonement, 
to cover our sins. Obviously, we don't have to kill animals anymore. And obviously, we're not killing animals for the voluntary ones. But the atonement for our sins, Jesus paid the penalty on the cross to cover our sins. So when we come to God in faith, knowing that he died on the cross for our sins, God covers us with his blood. And of course, there's no need to um, have any sacrifice because he was the one and final sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice on the cross to atone, which means to cover the sins of humanity, okay? And obviously, the three first sacrifices that are voluntary, we don't bring grain and we don't bring any animals to sacrifice, but there's still sacrifices that God expects. We're not off the hook. So many times we might want to be off the hook and we treat what Jesus did on the cross as a license to sin. We treat what Jesus did as our license to do whatever we want. We treat what Jesus did as our excuse of not giving God our all. We give what Jesus did as just us being able to pretty much live our lives in sin and think that it's okay. It's not. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, I urge you. I love even the word urge. It's like, you know, it's like I beg you. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, your bodies, like before it was animals. Now here's your bodies as a living sacrifice. Obviously, you're not killing yourself, but it's your living, you're living, but you're still a sacrifice before God. And then it said, holy, which means set apart to do God's work, holy and pleasing to God. And then it said, this is your true and proper worship. I want to let you know, worship is not listening to Star 99.1. It's not listening to K-Love. I'm sorry to break it to you. You know, there's, there's great songs. They could help you worship, but that's not worship. Worship on Sunday morning, technically this, uh, in the morning, this isn't worship, you could say. It'll help you to worship. But we treat worship as something that's supposed to be good, like, for us. Like, kind of like, oh, does it sound good? Oh, man, I like that song. I could sing to this. Oh, I don't like that song. I'm not going to sing. Like, you know, like, all of a sudden, we think, a lot of times, Christians think it's, it's more like a concert. Like, we're there just to be entertained. I'm here to tell you, if you come to church to be entertained, you're completely, like, off the mark on where you're supposed to be. Because this isn't about entertainment. This isn't about entertainment. This is about you pouring out your heart to God. And right here in Romans 12, 1, it says, this is your true and proper worship. It's not about the song. It's not about like those aspects. It's literally you, like when you want to worship God and give him everything, you're not gonna be distracted by your phone. 
You're not going to be distracted by the whispers around you. You won't be distracted by the temperature. Oh, it's a little cooler on this side. You know what I mean? Like, I think we'll You know, it's cold outside. You know, it's like you won't be distracted by all those things. Your heart will be poured out to God as a living sacrifice. And this is the thing. When you're a living sacrifice, you show up to God not to receive but to give. You don't come to God and you're like, God, I came here for you to bless me. Obviously, God could bless you if he decides to. But you're there to worship. No matter how you feel, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter the tragedies, the drama, the, the chaos, no matter what CNN or Fox News or whatever other media resource you have, honestly, it's you're there to worship no matter what season we're in. Every day, the good, the bad, the ugly. Let me tell you, my own life, there's been tragedies I've been through personally with my wife through the years. Personally, difficult moments. But worship doesn't end because we don't come to God expecting from God what he could give us from his hand. I come to God because I want to touch his heart. A lot of times we come to God because we want to see what he's going to give us, thinking that God is like, a genie or like Santa Claus is like, God, give me something. No, it's not. You got the wrong God. Read the book of Leviticus. You don't want to mess with this God. This God is no joke. You got to respect and honor who God is. You got to respect and honor who he is. And here in Ephesians chapter five, verse two, it says this, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ, He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. And look at the next statement so you could clearly see how it's pointing to Leviticus with the animals. Literally, it says, a pleasing aroma to God. Because in Leviticus, with the sacrifice, it was a pleasing aroma to God. So here, Jesus took the place that we should have been in. We should be the ones that we would have to die for our sins, but he took our place. And that is a God, of course, worthy to be worshiped. In Romans chapter 3, verse 25, just the first part of uh, verse 25, uh, it says this, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. What does atonement mean? To cover, okay? Through the shedding of his blood, because there has to be shedding blood for atonement to happen, to be received by faith. Remember John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming, he's like, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is that sacrifice. See, the book of Leviticus, I mean, I have to say, like, it's not an easy book to read. And there's moments that you'd be like, oh, that's strange. Like, you know, because we don't, it doesn't make full sense to us. It made full sense to them at that time. Like, you know, because they lived it. So you have to put that in perspective. But here's something we need to realize is that the book of Leviticus has a lot of stories that there's lessons that we could learn. There's lessons, principles, spiritual principles to learn 
And we're going to focus on one of them right now. You could turn to Leviticus chapter 10 if you have your Bible. In Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1, it says this. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So the fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. There's no reason to even watch some movies or anything. This is true story. And this is intense things happening. And it says, says, fire came. uh, So the fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed it. And they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy in the sight of all the people. I will be honored. Aaron remained silent after he heard what Moses said. Now picture this. Aaron, two of his sons just died in God's presence. Two of them. And then all of a sudden, verse 4, it says, Moses summoned Mishael and Elsaphon, sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, And said to them, come here, carry your cousins outside the camp, away from the front of the sanctuary. So they came and carried them and still in their tunic outside the camp as Moses ordered. Now, I want you to realize this. Moses literally told the two that died, the cousins of the ones that just died, go pick them up, not just take them out from where they're at, take them outside of the camp, far away from where all of us are at. God is holy. It's not even taking them away from the tabernacle. Take them away from the whole camp. Take them far away because God is holy and he has to be honored and glorified. And what they did was wrong. Take their bodies away. But it gets even more interesting. In verse six, it says this. Then Moses said to Aaron and his son, Eleazar and uh, Itamar, do not let your hair become unkempt and do not tear your clothes or you will die and the Lord will be angry with the whole community. But your relatives and all the Israelites may mourn for those the Lord has destroyed by fire. Do not leave the entrance to the tent of the meeting or you will die because the Lord's anointing oil is on you. So they did as Moses said. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come so that you can distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. So here, 
I mean, that was, an, uh, I, I know we, we talk about intense passages. That was an intense passage that we just read. A little intense, right? Their spiritual principles that I want you to focus here. The first one is this, and I think it's very obvious. God is holy and deserves all honor. God is holy and he deserves all honor. The reason Jesus had to die on the cross, because without him doing that, there was no way we could be in his presence. He deserves all honor. And how I mentioned how literally their cousins, Aaron's sons were carried out by their cousins out of the camp. You see, sin is not acceptable in or near God's presence. How I said before, we can't use Jesus' blood as a license to sin. But you know what? Right now, this moment, there's people in this room and watching on live stream that not only do we use Jesus' blood as a license to sin, we entertain sin, we welcome sin, we give sin a primary place in our lives, We think it doesn't do anything. We think that there's no consequences. We think that it's totally okay. You know what you're doing is wrong, but you completely accept it. You roll out the red carpet for the sin. You give it a central seat in your life, in your walk, in your house, in your family, in your career. You just think it's all good. God understands. Find me a Bible verse that says that God understands it's okay for you to live in sin, you knowing that you're, you're not um, supposed to, that it's okay. Find me that Bible verse, like that we could talk more. You're not going to be able to find it. You won't be able to find it. We think it's okay. We think it's okay. What do we say to Jesus' sacrifice when we think it's okay? I remember back then, I said, I said this a long time ago, too. There, um, there, when I was growing up in the Lord, there was this worship song I used to listen to, and it used to have this, this, these lyrics that always got me. The lyrics it used to say, it's like, Jesus, I wonder if you still feel the nails every time I sin. That was the lyrics of a song. It's like every time I sin, I wonder if you still feel the nails because you're the sacrifice to my sin. And let me tell you, there's none of us are perfect. We all sin every single day, but there's a huge difference between the person that sins and just comes to God, asking God to atone, to cover with his blood your sins. And then you keep chasing after him with all your heart, mind, and soul compared to the person that sins and doesn't care compared to the person that sins and doesn't come to God, compares the person that sins and forgets that the wages of sin is death. There's a huge difference. And I want to let you know, if that's you that think that there's really like no consequences to, to that, you've become so numb, so numb, and the world has literally contaminated you so much to think that there's no consequences you're in a very dangerous place, very dangerous place. Because you think it doesn't affect you, but it does affect you. It affects everything about you because we're spiritual beings. It affects you. And sometimes we wonder why certain things happen in our lives. 
And I'm not saying that when you give your life to God, it's all like, uh, like everything's um, fields of green and everything is beautiful. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that some of us are living under certain chains, under certain burdens, under certain torment that come from the sin that we entertain and that we welcome in our lives. And the only way to really break free from that is to surrender it all to God. God is holy and deserves all honor. Some of us, we're sitting here like, you know what, Carlos, it's nice that you're talking about Leviticus. That's the Old Testament. Uh, read Acts chapter 5, and you'll, Ananias and Sapphira, just read their story in Acts chapter 5, how they lied before God's presence, and see what happened to them. See what happened to them. This is New Testament now. I'm not talking about Old Testament. Second lesson to, uh, um, to um, hold on to is this. From that passage that we read, partial obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. The sons of Aaron, the one, the two that died, they did some of the stuff right. They did some of it right, but they did partial obedience. But we need to realize partial obedience is disobedience in God's eyes. You can't follow God your way. You can't. This isn't a country club uh, Christianity. I don't really know much about country clubs. I, I don't even think I've been to one in my life. But you get what I'm saying. Christianity is not there to cater to you. And what you want, how you want it, you know, like kind of like just wanting to give you what you want. That's not Christianity. Christianity is obeying our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Some of us love to call Jesus our Savior. We always want to be saved from things, but we don't want to call Jesus our Lord. And when he's your Lord, that means you have to obey him. So partial obedience is disobedience. Number three, third lesson from that story. Leaders have higher expectations. Leaders have higher expectations. You know, everybody wants to, not everybody, a lot of people want to be a leader. Like, you know what I mean? It's like kind of like, you have to know what you're signing up for too. There's higher expectations when it comes to a leader. And we see that in the story. I don't know if you caught that in that story. Check this out. I'm just going to read this again. Aaron's, Aaron's two sons just died. Like, Aaron saw his sons die before him in God's presence. Like picture yourself being a dad, seeing your two sons just die right there before God's presence. Okay? Now, this is what ends up happening. Then Moses said to Aaron, um, Aaron told his sons and his two remaining sons this, do not let your hair become unkempt, and do not tear off your clothes, which was a tradition of mourning. Like, it's a sign of mourning. It's like messing up your hair, tearing out your clothes like you're grieving. God says, don't mess up your hair. Don't tear off your clothes or you will die. So think about that. God literally told Aaron and his remaining two sons, you cannot mourn for your two sons or your brothers. You can't. And then he says this in that passage, but your relatives, 
all the Israelites may mourn for those the Lord has destroyed by fire. When you're a leader, your expectations are higher in God's eyes. You're held accountable for your role. So here, and not only that, he, like Moses continues giving him, it says this. He says, do not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting or you will die because the Lord's anointing oil is on you. So pretty much what Moses was saying, you have a job before God. And I know your life is falling apart right now. But you cannot stop doing the work of the Lord. You cannot stop. You can't leave because there's more sacrifices to be made, more worship to be done. People have to have their sins atoned. More animals are coming. You're going to stand at that entrance of that tent and you're not going to move. And if you decide to move and get in the way of the worship I deserve and the atonement of sin for the Israelites, you will die in my presence as well. I think that's a big lesson for all of us that are volunteers and leaders and wanting to serve. There is a holy obligation before God to use your gifts and your talents and your resources and everything that you have to do your absolute best for him, not to give him leftovers, not to do the things the way he does it or just do ministry the way we want to do it or bring unnecessary drama into church or ministry that doesn't belong. None of that because God deserves the very best. And if you can't give your very best, just know there's consequences to that. There's consequences because I know that in the end, We're all going to stand before God one day. We're all going to stand before God and we'll have to give an account for what he's given us. Every single one of us, all of us, we have gifts, we have talents, we have education, we have experience, we have connections. we, We have so many resources in our lives. What are we doing with it? Are we giving God our best or we're shortchanging God? Some of us were in the habit of shortchanging people. Let me tell you something. You could probably get away of shortchanging others, but you will not be able to mock God and shortchange God. You won't be able to. And what's amazing is that God obviously is holy, but at the same time, he's love and he does forgive us through Jesus. But some of us, we just want to look at God through the love side but we don't want to look at the holy side. We want to look at what's convenient for us, for the lifestyle that we're choosing to live in, but not what God wants us to do. And if you look through the book of New Testament, there is those, the expectation for us to be the light to this world, to be set apart, to be holy as well. The fourth and final lesson is this. God calls everyone to be holy. And holy means to be set apart for him. Now, I know what some of you are probably thinking. It's like, yo, Carlos, that book of Leviticus is a little intense. Oh, yeah, I got you. you know, it's like the book of Leviticus. And you're probably thinking, it's like, thank God I'm not a priest. How many of you probably 
in your heart, I'm not going to tell you to raise your hand because you're not going to raise your hand, but you're like, thank God I'm not a priest, and have all those big, like, expectation in God's eyes. Uh, I have news for you. You are a priest. You are a priest. You're a part of a priesthood. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says this. It, said, it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal. Hey, welcome to Leviticus, guys. You're a part of it. You're part of the priesthood. There's absolutely nothing different between Aaron and you. There's no real difference. We're part of the priesthood. Obviously, Jesus is the high priest, but we're part of the priesthood. So here, we'll continue. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So as we start to close up, I just want to remind you that we have to be a living sacrifice, right? And remember the five sacrifices we mentioned, the first three, sacrifice of complete surrender, of dependence and thanksgiving, that's done every day. Every single day, complete surrender, declaring our dependence and thanksgiving to God. And also asking God for forgiveness to cover and atone for our sins. The last two sacrifices we highlighted, we do that every day too. But Jesus paid the price for that. You see, some of us, we've accepted sin. How I said, we've entertained it. We obey God in our own terms. Some of us are slacking in our opportunities that God has given you. We've gotten lazy, lazy, not wanting to give God our all. We've just been like literally, I know COVID, the COVID season came, but COVID did a lot of other things besides all like the physical. COVID made Christians lazy, apathetic, not wanting to give God their all, wanting just to do whatever they want to do and not give God what he deserves the very best. And I don't know if that's you watching or maybe here, but it's time to change certain things. God expects us to have a character like his, one that's holy. But you know what? So many times we look more like the world than a child of God. If no one could see the difference between you and the world, there's something wrong. Some of us complain about everything we... we it, and I'm talking about Christians. I'm not talking about the world. Complain about everything. We gossip about everything. It's like we disguise it. Oh, this is a prayer request. But let me tell you 30 minutes about the drama, and then let me then pray for them. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we have watered down what we have committed as what it is to be a leader, a volunteer, a follower of the Lord. We do it so many times in our own terms. And it's not supposed to be that. Some of us, instead of bringing water to fire and preserving unity and being on the mission that God's given us, we carry gasoline with us and we just light things on fire like arsonists going against the things that God is trying to accomplish. And let me tell you, 
that if there's any spiritual arsonist that's lighting fires that don't belong, that are not the ones God commanded, there are consequences for that. So for all of us, we need to be careful. And lastly, I just want to let you know this. Something that's interesting, too, with the priesthood is that with the altar that's there, every single day they had to make sure that there was enough wood at the altar. That was the priest's responsibility. They had to make sure there was enough wood because they didn't want the fire to ever stop burning because worship and sacrifice should always go to God. Always putting wood on there. And you know what I see that as a principle for us? Is that it's our responsibility to light the fire within our own hearts with God's presence. We bring the wood. God brings the presence. And we come before him and we bring the sacrifices in our heart of complete surrender, the dependence, just wanting to give him thanks and ask him to cover it with blood. But we bring the wood and make sure that the fire doesn't die down. So many of us, we blame it on other people. Oh, no, I'm going to go to another church. You know, God is there more. Let me tell you something. God is everywhere, and there's nothing wrong with the church. There's something wrong with you. Because you have stopped bringing wood into the altar in the center of your heart. It's your responsibility. Your responsibility to nourish yourself to bring yourself before God, to keep that fire burning, to have that passion hot. It's your response. You can't blame it on no one else. You can't blame it on your family. You can't blame it on your circumstances. You can't blame it on your tragedies. You can't blame it on the church. It's your responsibility. No one else's but yours. So even now, everyone could bow their heads. And this is going to be a time period of just repentance. In 1 John 1, 9, it says this, if, you confess our, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Some of us, were like, oh, Carlos, you don't understand. I have to get my life in order first before coming to God. Let me tell you, the only person that could get your life in order is God. You can't, you've been trying for so long, you can't get your life in order. It's God that could get your life in order. You have to come, and just like the sacrifices we highlighted in complete surrender, just leaving everything, complete dependence to God, giving him thanksgiving, and asking God, just to cover your sins. So even now, all of you could just come to God in repentance, asking God for forgiveness. forgiveness, And then we also want him to consume us from the inside out to transform us. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, 
You can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.